Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und willkommen zu Gegenpressing, der Bundesliga-Podcast. I'm Manu Veth, hier ist Stefan Bienkowski. Stefan, was ist going? been a pretty exciting interesting match day hasn't it yeah it's been absolutely bonkers to be perfectly honest with you um last couple of days where i mean i feel like for most people who listen to the show unless you are maybe you know uh you know a grizzled war battled bundesliga veteran uh weekends like this one don't really come around every so often we don't usually see Mm. bayern stumble at the finish line uh, and you know, I've I've been on some shows and some podcasts and speaking to people, and I have found myself describing it as historic, you know, because mm. it's it's just not something we see all that often. So um, it was really a fun fun weekend. Um, we had a really good laugh with our subscribers in the chat on Substack. I think last I checked, we yeah. had over four hundred and ten replies or comments <laughs> in there. Um, <laughs> It's just been great to kind of follow along the games this weekend with all them. So thanks to everyone who subscribes. And of course, if you have no idea what we're talking about, uh, do have a look on Substack, uh, download the app. And if you go to the chat function, there's these kind of threads that we can put out. And we put a match day thread out to let subscribers chat to us during the games. And not just us, actually. A lot of subscribers have kind of chatted to each other. And I think a few of them have said they yeah. enjoy just having people to talk to because uh, they live in you know far-flung corners of the world where... Maybe the Bundesliga isn't on in their local pub and things like that. So no, it's been good. It's been a really good weekend. Yeah, it's been a really fascinating weekend. I think from from the top to the bottom of the table, and we got so much to talk about. So we should probably not dwell on all the other things that are going on this weekend, um, and actually just jump right into it. And before we jump right into it, um, a little break for our advertisers. This episode of the Gegenpressing Podcast is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline.ag is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, including the latest player reports for this year's pro basketball playoffs. 
BetOnline is always your sports information headquarters this season, as we have you covered for all your sports wagering needs. Basketball, MLB, NHL hockey, right to UFC and boxing. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games you can play right from your home. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Be sure to use our promo code BELIEF, B-L-E-A-V, BELIEF, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That is B-L-E-A-V for 50% welcome bonus. Bet online where the game starts. So yeah, Stefan, um, the title race, you said, you said it on the top. It, it feels historic. Almost nobody saw Bayern stumble. <laughs> um, although I did, I have to admit, um, I did not feel comfortable putting down them down as losing this, this match. Um, I suspected that they would lose the points, but I did not think that they would that they would lose all three. Um, not that it mattered in the grand scheme of things, you know, because essentially they just needed to drop points for for Borussia Dortmund to go back to the top. Um, Having said all that, we, we do need to start with the Rekordmeister and I think how things went down um, at the Allianz Arena. We did break it down right away post-match, right, um, in a video that's available on the on the Substack, but also on YouTube, so go check that out. But Stefan, um, a full, I guess, 48 hours later, what's your thoughts here now that you had some time to think about what went wrong and the way this team deflated after essentially being dominant for 30 minutes any thoughts that you have at this stage yeah so i mean and not a lot's changed since you know the full-time whistle went and we kind of jumped on youtube to talk about it and for anyone mm. who didn't watch that video i think the kind of gist of my point was that i was really struck by just how toothless barn were in the second half um not just in terms of you know providing a goal threat um which they didn't do, yeah. you know, I've, I've got the stats to hand. And, you know, in the first half, they created 1.23 XG, which is, you know, fine. In the second half, they only created 0 0.43. So, you know, that kind of chance creation just went off a cliff. Um, mm. And it really was quite stark just how different Bayern were in the first half to the second because, you know, we were, we were following along, we were watching the game, we're talking about it in the Substack thread, which I mentioned at the top of the show with people. Yeah. And I was saying after like 20 or 30 minutes, Leipzig looked terrible. They look absolutely mm. dreadful. They look like, you know, rabbits caught in the headlights. Couldn't string two or three passes together. And then when that Serge Gnabry goal went in, I thought, right, here we go. Bayern are going to, ste yeah. Bayern are going to steamroll this. Um, and it's just going to be classic Bayern. They always rise to the occasion. This is a bread and butter. And... You know, although Leipzig did have a couple of chances just before half time, I think it's probably fair to say in that first half, Bayern really dominated it. But mm. obviously, something happened in the second half. I think there's, there's there's one or two things I think that were at play here. One was perhaps <clears throat> one was perhaps complacency in the sense that you know the way that Bayern played and the way they created chances, they probably thought right, that's the job done. We've got one hand on the title. Mm. Um, you know, we just have to see this game out. And it kind of felt like that for the first kind of 10 or 15 minutes. I actually went so far as to say, like, you know, I mean, I was completely wrong, but I basically said, look, 
you know, Barn have kind of gone down a gear or two here. And then I said, but Leipzig have to kind of strike because Barn will step up again. It's just the way they are. You know, they maybe have, mm. maybe have a lull. But that they never manage to step out of that lull. And I do wonder if it's either complacency, a mental thing, or it's just a simple fact yeah. that they just didn't have anyone on the pitch who was capable of scoring goals. You know, um, Serge Gnabry scores a great goal in the first half, but I mean, maybe I'm being harsh. It'd be interesting to hear what some Barn fans think, but I often find with Gnabry that he's very good at these kind of one-off goals and then he just goes quiet for 80 minutes. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a bit harsh to say he should be scoring more than one goal a game. That's understandable, but it feels to me like he's very kind of precise with specific moments of the game and then he goes missing. Uh, Thomas Muller was much the same. Uh, Mm. You know, Musiala, um, as we've seen since the World Cup, really, hasn't really been able to kind of get going at all, really. Um, yeah. And really, once actually Leipzig kind of took Simican off in the right wing back role and brought in Henriks, um, they really showed up that defence, and it, it you could just feel the tide changing. Um, and you know, Leipzig just kind of went on and do what they what we expect them to do. Conrad Leimer was extremely dominant in Milder Park, mm. uh, and Kunkus puts away a, pen, um, a penalty. Schobesly is the same. You know, I, I just it just felt to me like a game in which. It summed up Bayern's season in a sense that they were kind of desperately looking for someone to step up and win the game for them or to secure all three points for them. They were they yeah. were looking for Lewandowski. Um, maybe they're looking for Thomas Müller from a few years ago. I don't know, but they just didn't have it, you know. And and we all kind of thought or assumed that Musiala was going to become that player from the way he started the season. But it's also very harsh to kind of put that expectation on a player that young. Um, when there mm. are senior players like Kimmich, like Gnabry, uh, you know, like Muller, like Kingsley Coleman, and they all just kind of shirked that responsibility. And it meant that you could kind of see the vitriol at full time where the whole the whole clown show came out. You know, we had we had you know, we had Oliver Kahn, we had Sh- um yep. I was say Salihamovic, we had the president, we had Kimmich, we had Muller, everyone had to have their say as to why things weren't working. Uh, Thomas Thomas Tuchel, of course, uh, but um, mm. I don't know. It just feels to me like you know. I said this on uh, on Twitter at full time that you know the club sacked Julian Nagelsmann because they had a decision to make: they either sack the head coach or they sack the team. And they obviously they took a decision to sack the coach because they can't sack the team or they didn't want to spend the money to re- to rebuild that team. And they're now kind of stuck looking at themselves in the mirror because they they've got the squad that obviously isn't good enough. Uh, hasn't got enough match winners for one reason or another and yeah they're now likely going to lose the Bundesliga title because of it yeah Thomas Tuchel has averaged 1.55 points at Bayern Munich since he's taken over the, the from Julian Nagelsmann um, that's a drop of course from, from Nagelsmann's performance and you, you do question that decision though I think in, in retrospect whether it really had a the impact that they wanted to have, right, and b whether it actually made made sense at all. Um, I think this is a decision that years from now the club is going to regret. I said it that at the time on the podcast. And I still believe this to be true. Um, I think that there is there is moments when when you look at the squad and you just think this this team isn't being cohesively put together. Um, the, the fact that their reaction, and I mean, we go back to this over and over again, right? Their reaction to losing um, Robert Lewandowski was to sign yet another winger and Sadio Mane. 
was past his prime and this much is evident now, right? Um, is it, that comes down to the decision makers above Julian Nagelsmann. And I, I think the, it's very interesting how the narrative was put out there right away that like, well, we put together this team with, with Julian Nagelsmann. I'm like, I, I'm sorry, but that's simply not true. Um, because I remember being with Bayern Munich at the training camp in the United States. And I remember talking to people in and around Nagelsmann and Nagelsmann himself. And he's, he was insistent on him wanting another number nine. Right. So this narrative that was put out after the fact is obviously there to protect certain people that have made decisions. Right. And yeah, they probably said to the coach, like, look, we're not going to sign number nine. We feel the squad is good enough. And Nagelsmann had to take that because that's how it works at Bayern Munich. But, you know, you look at the way the squad is put together now and the way it's performing and the way it's just not able to get to reach that second gear. You just feel there is a lot of, as they say in German, Mitläufer, right? Uh, there is no real captains in this team. The Joshua Kimmich, of course, would like to be one and yell at everyone who doesn't think that he isn't, but he is not necessarily someone who the team rallies around. Um, and, you know, there's many reasons for that. They, some players maybe don't take him serious. Some players probably still begrudge some of the decisions he made during the COVID pandemic, right? Um, and maybe some some think that he himself is just not leading by example, right? Because we've seen his performances. And so there is a lot of things that are going on with that. Another thing that I, I struck me and I find that really interesting is the, the team dropping off in performance after a certain amount of minutes, right? We've seen this, and this this actually is something that I think does date back to the Nagelsmann period. Um, Nagelsmann's team struggled to take a team apart if they didn't score the first goal in what the first 15 20 minutes and he he went so far to even admit that much and in, in several press conferences right um and I, that that highlights to me two things that a they don't have the solution in the box um, we, i mentioned on the show that we did the post reaction show on the weekend that you know they take too many uh, they, they take too many touches in the box and they're not clinical enough but also i feel that this is a fitness issue there is not enough players in the squad that can last the full 90 minutes and be decisive throughout the full 90 minutes. And when you look at the history of Bayern Munich and the way that the team has always been assembled, this was a team that you could not count out until the final whistle, right? What made this team uh, so good in 2020 was that they were sharper than anyone else. They were sharper than anyone else coming out of that, that, that lockdown, right? The same can be said in 2013, where the team could never be ever counted out, right? Even, you know, some of the shortcomings that you see now, I feel like, okay, well, where has that gone wrong? And why is that happening, right? Um, and, you know, maybe some of that is the World Cup. A large part of the players went to the World Cup. But Dortmund had a large contingent at the World Cup, right? Niklas Süle had a phenomenal game on, on the weekend, and he played at the World Cup. So you just kind of wonder if that really can be can be put forward as an excuse. Um, so I think there is there seems to be a, a cohesiveness of structure in this team that is just lacking, and b there seems to be certain fundamentals that have just not been addressed this year. Yeah, um, you know, I was actually just trying to pull up the um, our absentee page on Transfermarkt actually to have a look at which mm. players were missing from the World Cup, just to remind myself because. You know, but there were yeah. there were a handful of key players who came back injured from that World Cup. Uh, but mm. you know, 
that doesn't really excuse the core of that team, which are German and which bombed out the World Cup as quickly as they possibly yeah. could. So yeah, you know you're absolutely right in the sense that you can't if 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 you know if if Germany had reached maybe the semi-finals of the World Cup, you know Kimmich, Gnabry, Goretzka, etc then you could maybe make that excuse. And if Bayern had dropped a huge amount of points and right after the World Cup when, you know, that, mm. that defence in particular was really decimated from um, injuries, mm. then maybe. But I do kind of think you can draw an interesting parallel and, you know, if, if you allow me to maybe slowly but surely kind of transition into Dortmund here. Um, mm. If you want to kind of draw a comparison between the way that Dortmund have dealt with Erling Haaland leaving the club and the way that Bayern have dealt with Robert Lewandowski leaving the club, it's completely yeah. different, you know, and actually my newsletter this week um, is actually on the way that Dortmund's kind of patchwork of forwards this season have really kind of, through hooker by crook, have managed to really compensate for Haaland leaving, you know, if you kind of look at the first half of the season, you had Yusuf Makuku step in um, who really out of necessity because obviously Haller was picked up you know the cancer diagnosis and he couldn't play Anthony mm. Modest was kind of parachuted into this team which didn't really work at all so Makuku steps up to the play he does tremendously well um, but you also had a kind of strong kind of supporting cast of Marco Royce, Jude Bellingham, Julian Brandt um, really stepping up and saying right well if our fault if our strikers are out of action and our wide forwards in Daniel Malin and Adiemi aren't um, you know, either fit or, or in form, our, our midfielders will step up. Uh, and that's what happened mm. in the first half. And don't get me wrong, Dortmund weren't great in the first half of the season. You know, they, they were sixth, I think, mm-hmm. at the end of the Hinrunda. Yep. They were, you know, nine points behind Bayern, I think. But if you kind of look at the way that front line uh, really developed, arguably because they had, most of them did have a kind of second pre-season in the sense that, you know, Daniel Malin obviously managed to get a, Got get his 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 sharpness and his fitness back. Uh, Adeyemi was able to finally kind of settle into the club. We saw Sebastian Haller kind of come into the team eventually as well, ahead of schedule. Um, and perhaps just importantly, actually, Guerrero actually managed to look like his old self again. And he, you know, he's really been an outstanding playmaker in the second half of the season. Mm. But the point is. Dortmund are now finishing the season with this kind of supporting, this tremendous supporting class of forward players. You know, if you look at the way they beat, um, you know, Augsburg at the weekend, yes, it took some time uh, and a red card perhaps, but you had, you know, Sebastian Haller looking at his best, Daniel Malin with a really tremendous turn of pace. Uh, I can't remember if it was for one of the goals or if it was maybe the, for the Adeyemi chance that he should have finished. And then Adeyemi, of course, looking extremely dangerous, not to mention the fact that Julian Brandt gets on the scoreline. Mm-hmm. And this is all, and then Marco Royce as well actually came very close when he came on. And this is all without Jude Bellingham even on the pitch. Now, yeah. you, you compare that performance from all those players to what happened at Bayern Munich, and you got a Bayern team who basically made no effort to really replace Lewandowski. They brought in Sadio Mane, tried to shoot horn him in, which didn't work. They then had to res- mm-hmm. they then had to resort on Chupamoting, who did his best, but it's obviously not the same quality of Lewandowski. But there was never any kind of conscious effort made to be like, right, Gnabry, you have to... I mean, I suppose Gnabry has scored a decent amount of goals, but like Leroy Sané, Coman, Gnabry, whoever else, like, we all have to score an extra five goals each this season because Lewandowski's not his team. Whether... Mm. I'm sure maybe Nagelsmann and Tuchel have said that on a training pitch, but it doesn't feel like these players have actually made the effort to step up. And where you have a Dortmund team that have 
not only players on the pitch in wide positions or in the middle of the park, or even in the case of Gallero, like at left back at times, stepping up and trying to be counted. Um, mm. You know, you've got this Bayern team that everyone's just completely, you know, shirking from responsibility, hiding from the limelight, determined not to kind of be the guy that everything's dependent on. So I just think those are such interesting contrasts to the way both of these teams have reacted to losing the player that scored all the goals for them. Because if you know if yeah. you know if you if you look at everyone's talking about how much Bayern have missed Lewandowski, but you forget that Erling Haaland scored or assisted like thirty five percent of Dortmund's league goals last season. So mm-hmm. I just think that's an interesting contrast and perhaps why Dortmund have looked so much better in the second half of the season and now look good to win the Bundesliga title. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, you just you just look at uh, some of the numbers, right? For Sebastian Haller, um, he's now scored nine goals and five assists in eighteen Bundesliga games, right? Um, that's a goal every hundred and twenty-seven minutes because you have to remember he doesn't didn't feature for over the full 90 minutes in all of these games because he was literally recovering from cancer, which is a crazy story when you think about it, right? So he's currently on pace to score on every second game. Um, and when you go by numbers, it's actually just above one game, goal a game. Um, again, that's insane. But you actually look at the form table in the Bundesliga. And when you take the first 16 matches where Borussia Dortmund were without Sebastian Haller, Dortmund were sixth in the standings with 28 points, seven points behind Bayern Munich, right? Um, Haller came back on match day 16, which is after the World Cup break. Since then, Borussia Dortmund in 18 games have won 14, drawn three, lost just one, scored an insane 56 goals, right? Which is the most in the Bundesliga by, well, by 15. Bayern Munich is second with 41. But also in terms of points, Borussia Dortmund in the last 18 games, so since the World Cup break, have collected 45 points, which is 10 more than RB Leipzig was sitting in second place, and 11 points more than, than Bayern Munich. And, you know, you look at that, that is, that is incredible. That's incredible. And you, they, you can draw the parallel to, oh, Borussia Dortmund, they buy the player to replace Erling Haaland. You know, they go into the new season with that player. Player gets a horrible cancer diagnosis. They have to then go and poach Anthony Modest from Köln, right? Um, and we, we can all agree that that is an interesting idea, a good concept, but not the player that will, you know, not the same caliber kind of player. Erling Haaland, uh, sorry, Sebastian Haller goes through all of the fall and winter battling cancer successfully recovers from from the treatment and two operations comes back and this Borussia Dortmund side is completely transformed and you know that actually kind of makes you wonder what happens if Sebastian Haller does not get this diagnosis what happens if he does stay fit throughout this entire season I you know it's hypotheticals of course but I think the title race would be over, Stefan. 
Yeah, it's a fair point actually, and it's it also kind of offers up some hope to Dortmund next season as well. You know, in the hope that this isn't just a sort of flash in the pan. Uh, you know, rich vein of form, uh, rich vein of form rather, uh, and it might all fall apart next season because they do mm. have the tools now to dominate and. It's not just Haller, of course. What I mean by that is it's not just his goals and assists. It's, it's, it's the presence that he brings to Dortmund. You can so yeah. evidently see how Daniel Malin just loves to play off him. You can see how Adeyemi just loves to play off him. Same with Julian mm. Brandt, same with Jude Bellingham. And, you know, you know, not to kind of, kind of put a dark twist on this, I guess, because we're trying to celebrate the fact that Dortmund's about to win a title. But say if someone like Jude Bellingham does move on in the summer, there's still a huge amount of hope in that Dortmund team in the sense that well they've still got this front three who know exactly how to play off each other they all play so well um yeah yeah, you might have to spend some money kind of fixing up the middle of the park but to have those three players and how well they play off each other is just really impressive you know um and Mm. I completely agree with you it's 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 night and day compared to Bayern it's night and day compared to the rest of the league and actually you know if you kind of look at it across the pitch or across the league run we've talked about some recent bonus show about the lack of number nines in, in the Bundesliga, Sebastian mm. Haller really stands alone in that regard, it's, aside from maybe one or two other players like Fulkrug, or maybe if you want to con- consider Colomani a number nine, which I'm not entirely sure you would, but maybe you would for yeah. argument's sake. Um, he really does stand alone in that regard, and he has allowed this Dortmund team to kind of click into gear, um, which is really impressive because you, you kind of look back to how Dortmund played under Erl- with Erling Haaland in the team last season, and yeah, he scored the goals and yeah, he got the headlines. But, and we said this at the time, you know, look, you know, Dortmund are winning games, kind of, uh, you know, but, and, and, and Erling Haaland scoring goals for fun. But Dortmund last season were a very direct team that punted the ball right past their midfield, right past their yeah. wingers. And they were constantly trying to catch teams on the back foot and allow Haaland to kind of run in and score goals. And that was fine and it was fun for a while, but you could see the limitations in that because it meant that if Haaland was either injured or if a team sat deep, um, you know, no one else in the team was really willing to kind of take any responsibility or simply didn't have yeah. to take any responsibility. That's been completely inverted this season. And you can see the way that, and this is like, this is a really good um, example of, you know, what Terzic has done right, you know. Um, you can see that he's somehow managed to get through to guys like Julian Brandt, uh, Adeyemi, Daniel Malin, uh, all of them really. Guerrero, you know, Guerrero and Brand in particular actually are two players who've really frustrated Dortmund fans for a number of seasons now. They've had good seasons, mm. they've had bad seasons. Uh, you know, both of them have really come into a rich, fantastic run of form. And I think that's a testament to Terzic, the fact that he's clearly sat down with this team and said, you all have to take responsibility here, you all have to step up. It's not a case of Haller scoring the goals. It's not a case of you know Adeyemi scoring the goals. Everyone has to kind of take it, uh, take control here, and that's what this team have done. That's what they did against Augsburg. And not only is it really encouraging for the sense that they're about to win a title, but it's also hugely encouraging for them going forward in the sense that you know they're no longer a team defined by one or two star players who will inevitably move on. They're now a fully fledged functioning team. Possibly capable of even more than just you know challenging Dortmund for uh, Bayern for the odd title. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting too. There was um, a report by um, Konstantin Ekner um, for ESPN 
um, we actually had Eckner on this at the show before, right? And he's kind of um, written an article on what Dortmund have changed during the, the World Cup break, and it's interesting too because we we've been asked whether we need to give Terzic more credit here, um, and I think that's true. We we do, um, but I think it's also um, really interesting that he has essentially responded to some of the shortcomings that we've addressed um, in the in the first half of the season, right? Hmm. Um, in that that he has now a different role as a head coach and it, it sounds like he's almost more of a manager now uh, in the in the traditional English sense right where he 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 just basically works on the tactics he does one-on-one conversations with with the players but the actual coaching um, is happening with with other members of the staff right and I actually think that this is really quite fascinating right that Terzic because like one of our accusations was that, well, he's a bit of a cheerleader, right? He's he's a super fan turned head coach, which is fine because like he's also obviously has very good tactical ideas, but you know he, he it seemed like there was some fundamentals missing in terms of training. And in in Dortmund's, you know, we have to applaud Dortmund and the decision makers at Dortmund to to see this and address it and still preserve the working relationship, right? So. I think that is really something that changed as well. And I think that is actually also kind of key, right? If you want to have success as a club. One thing that I or has frustrated me for years about Borussia Dortmund was their lack of ability to change. You know, the, the, the fact that they were always going to be on the same course. We're going to steer this course. We're going to be always Borussia Dortmund. We're going to wait for Bayern Munich to be weak, which in fairness, you know, they did. But, you know, when you look at the after World Cup Bundesliga table, then it becomes quite clear that they were actually excellent, right? They have made up for their, for their poor start. Um, so I think that's all really interesting. I think that there is things that have happened within Borussia Dortmund that have addressed shortcomings in the right way. And yes, maybe without a World Cup break, that doesn't happen. But the World Cup break is a reality that every single Bundesliga club faces, right? Bayern Munich 2, we're going into the World Cup break with, with known problems, Right. It wasn't like they were running away with the Bundesliga table at that point. There was other teams challenging them. Um, and they did have that spell for four games where they didn't win a single game, right? So they had shortcomings themselves. And it's really interesting how the two different teams took that extensive break. One of them addressed the issues correctly. and had, the, I mean, the fortune that the star striker came back, right? But and the other team essentially said, oh, we're leading the table. We're fine. And then just to like completely blow it up in the international break in March, right? And I mean, literally breaking up. They pressed the red button on this, didn't they? And it's kind of like that Oppenheimer movie where they where they worried and that the world could blow up when they pressed the red button. Well, for Bayern, unfortunately, blew up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, here we are. I think you know, it, Stefan. This is. It is it is super exciting, and obviously this 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 the the title race is going to dominate it for us for the the rest of the week in terms of what we're writing and in terms of or what we're going to report on. Um, but we also have to. I want to kind of slowly transition this to the other things that are happening in the Bundesliga because there's a lot of things going on. We should probably move to the to the relegation battle unless there's something else that you want to add to Bayern and Dortmund. No, I think we're good. Um, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about both clubs, I think, in the coming weeks. So yeah. it's And the relegation race is just as fascinating, so I think we definitely Man. should dive straight into it. 
We should, because like both you and I, before the show, sort of did the juggling, the mathematically juggling um, of different results and the way it could turn out. And um, imagine, if, what's that gif with the, the guy and the calculation from, um, I think it's from um, Hangover, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the poker game. <laughs> so that's uh, that was us trying to figure out who's going to go down, who's going to stay up. I get this asked all the time, right? Who do you think is going to go down? I'm like, I have, I, Stefan, I have no idea, right? What what do I know? Um, <laughs> I can just tell you that based on the results that we had this, this weekend, um, Stuttgart looked like the great winner to me. And boy, did they have a fantastic performance with that 4-1 win over over Mainz that catapults them out of the relegation zone entirely, right? Mm. Um, the, the other takeaway I had, um, Dortmund's win over Augsburg, Kind of puts them into dangerous waters in the final match day. Hmm. Um, Schalke's point, okay, um, I think that's going to hurt them. But at the same time, that's still a point that could be very valuable. We now know Hertha gone. Shocker, I think we predicted this from happening, um, that it would happen. So that there's no huge surprise here. But Stefan, it, okay, Augsburg are sort of in it, but they have a dead rubber match against Gladbach, right? So I think we essentially... It comes down to Stuttgart, Bochum, or Schalke, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I watched the Schalke game, and you know, <laughs> I was chatting to uh, someone on Twitter about this because I was just basically saying, you know, I was tweeting it with such exuberance and delight when Schalke scored that, you know, someone was responded saying, you know, when they went down a few years ago, I, I didn't feel too bad because, you know, the club was mismanaged. Mm. They, they looked like a financial kind of mess. They looked like a sleeping giant. They just kind of stumbled and fell. He's like, I didn't have much sympathy for them, but now I can't help but get behind this team. And I completely agree with them. You know, I've yep. been watching Schalke for the last five or six weeks now, almost, you know, religiously. And... <laughs> This 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 weekend's game against Frankfurt was just another example of it. Just kind of you can't help but endear yourself to this team. You know they score. Taroda scores a great goal in the first minute of the game, like fifty five seconds in his final home game as a Schalke player, mm. which is just you know really quite touching actually. Um, now Frankfurt did manage to pull himself back into this game. I feel quite bad for Schalke in the sense that you know Schwallow in goals, he's replacing the injured Farming. And I don't know if you saw Kamada's goal, but it was a shot from outside the box. It just went right through the goalkeeper's hands. Complete mm. cla- complete clangor from a goalkeeper who, you know, admittedly has come he- kind of has some history with this. Um, Tutor then scores in the second half, and you kind of think, well, that's it. You know, um, Frankfurt managed to pull it around. Um, they've got to go on and win this game, and Schalke are really in trouble. Um, but then Poulter scores in the 85th minute, and tremendous goal and I don't know there's just this never say die attitude from Schalke especially under Rice took over the club Uh, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago in terms of I don't have the stats to hand because I haven't updated them but I remember maybe one week ago or two weeks ago I kind of checked what the Bundesliga table would look like if since Thomas Rice came into the team and you know Schalke Schalke would be sitting 10th or 11th you know Mm. Um, so they have really put on a strong showing um actually in the last 10 match days they'd be 12th in the league tables there you go um last five match days would be ninth so they are crawling 
they're, they're grasping and, 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 and crawling at everything they can get. Um, and they go into that final match day against an RB Leipzig team who've got nothing to play for. Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm not entirely sure what they can hope for. And I think they basically need Stuttgart and Bochum to lose because their goal difference is such that even if they get up onto 34 points, I think they're still behind Augsburg on goal difference. Um, so mm-hmm. they basically need Bochum and Stuttgart to lose, which isn't beyond the realms of possibility because, you know, Bochum have got a played a very difficult life. Leverkusen or team draw. Who, yeah. draw, would or, draw, draw would do you too, yeah. Yeah, so there's still plenty to play for. And, you know, I'm I, I'm not a Schalke fan. I've never been a Schalke fan. Um, but I can't help but root for this team. I don't know. I mean, it'd be interesting if, you know, people let us know in the comments what they think. But I just find myself really rooting for this team right now. Yeah, so here, here's my worries. Um, Stutt- so Stuttgart, when it comes to Schalke, Stuttgart are playing a dead rubber against Hoffenheim, right? Um, Hoffenheim on the beach. Um, the upside is Schalke playing Leipzig, Leipzig on the beach, uh, you know, drinking their Red Bull. Although that's not 100% true because they still have to, they have a German Cup final to play, right? But so, okay, that actually makes it even worse for Bochum because Schalke playing a Leipzig side that doesn't want to get, that's essentially going to experiment, right? Because they have to replace Guardiola and defense um, and then they're probably going to rotate a few players to make sure that the week after they're the match fit for a, a really big game in Berlin against Frankfurt so Stuttgart they play pretty much a dead rubber um, Schalke big opportunity to get maybe three points against Leipzig so it really then comes down to me what's going to happen in a Bochum game and this is where it's juicy because Bochum are playing a Leverkusen side who need a win to guarantee that they finish sixth, which could, depending on how the, the the German Cup final ends, be either a Europa League spot or a Conference League spot, right? They're obviously hoping it's a Europa League spot, right? But what I'm saying is Leverkusen will have to win their match. And I think in terms of quality, they're probably going to beat Bochum. So I think that makes it, I kind of feel it makes it between those three sides. Yes, Augsburg, when if certain things go a certain way, they could still end up in the relegation playoff spot, right? If they lose to Gladbach, a Gladbach side that um, did steal two, two points from Leverkusen on the weekend, coming back from a 2-0 deficit. Um, there was some life in that team um, yet, right? So curious to see how that's going to end. I think Gladbach too, they, they're saying goodbye to a bunch of players in their final home match. So they maybe want to win that game, right? But I just feel that there's going... I think it's going to be between Bochum and Schalke is sort of my my feeling here on on where who's going to go down directly and who's maybe in a playoff relegation spot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I guess if you're Schalke, you'll probably take the you'll, you'll take that playoff spot right now, wouldn't you? Because against Hartford. Well, <laughs> you know, um, you know, having. Working with a lot of people in Hamburg, I know fine well just how useless <laughs> Hamburg have been recently. Um, and yeah, as I said, you know Schalke have basically been one of the top ten teams in the Bundesliga over the last two or three months. So, on current form, you would think that they would fancy themselves against just about any team in the five Bundesliga. Um, maybe Stuttgart and Bochum would too. And and this is the really interesting aspect to why the relegation race has been so good. If you kind of look at the form table. These teams at the bottom of the table have actually been picking up a lot of points recently, you know. Yeah. Um, 
like the likes of Schalke, Bochum, Stuttgart, over the course of the last 10 games are 10th, 11th and 12th in the form table. You know, Gladbach have picked up fewer points, Mainz, Frankfurt, Augsburg, Bremen, of course, Hertha are still bottom, but mm. it's, you know, the what's kind of made this kind of relegation race so interesting is that these bottom two or three sides, specifically Stuttgart, Bochum and Schalke, um, have all been basically, they're not winning every week, but they're picking up points every week. Yeah. But because the three of them continue to pick up points together, they can't pull away from each other. And that's why they're in this situation where, you know, it's come down to, it's going to come down to the last match days. So it's going to be fantastic. Uh, I can't wait for it. Um, there'll be tears depending on who goes down, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I think any of those three teams would obviously take 16th over 17th, you know, goes without saying. But I think they'd all kind of slowly, I think they'd all kind of quietly um, think they could fancy themselves in that playoff spot as well. So I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's I I don't know. I mean, sooner or later, Hamburg are gonna go up, <laughs> right? It, but are they though? Are they? <laughs> I don't know if I want to play that Russian roulette though. <laughs> um, I, I I've been in the relegation playoffs with my team, and it's not fun. Um, I don't want to take that chance, but I, I someone will have to. Um, I think maybe if you finish 16th, they kind of hope that Heidenheim still slip into that third spot somehow, right? I mean, the second division, you look at the um, the final match day there, um, let me just pull that up. Because like the final match day in the second division is actually quite a, quite interesting as well. Um, and Hamburg and Heidenheim are just one point apart, if I'm correct. So... Um, and I think they both have very easy to win games. Um, I looked at this this morning. It was he- Heidenheim. I think we're playing. I know Hamburg is playing Sandhausen away. So um, yeah, it's it's. I don't know. I just don't know if I want to do that. Um, ah, here, there it is. The match day. Let me just get that up. I'm doing this live as we speak. Um, here it is. So Sandhausen, Hamburg is in Sandhausen, who are already relegated for, to the third division. Um, and then Heidenheim have Jan Regensburg away, uh, who are technically pretty much relegated already too. Um, you know, probably on goal differential. So yeah, it does look like it's going to be HSV on that third spot. Um, yeah. I don't know. Either way, Stefan, I think that's we're obviously going to cover the relegation playoff matches, right? So um, don't worry, we're gonna we're gonna stay tuned. I'm probably going to be at both of them, depending on geography, especially if it's in Hamburg, because I'm actually in the office in Hamburg that week, so <laughs> I will get to see it live this year. Um, the tears and the drama and everything that involves a, a relegation playoff uh, a match. But um, I think it's it's gonna. I mean, it's totally gonna come down to the wire for the next two weeks. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we're just gonna have to wait and see what happens. It's it's on a it's on a you know a knife's edge if you if you will. Um, mm. But I mean, I think we'll, I was gonna, I was gonna give some predictions. I think we'll save those for the preview show and yeah. maybe just wrap up. But um, it's great. I'm glad it's it's. I mean, as people have suggested, um, I think it was maybe Christian Nayari on Twitter was saying it's the best Bundesliga season in total 
we've had in years and I couldn't agree more um, from top to bottom uh, mm. it's just been great drama and it'll be a shame to see it end but at the same time I am bloody exhausted That that's the downside <laughs> to being amazing I'm exhausted from it <laughs> okay so here's maybe my final point and this might totally blow up in my face but I think this will be the norm I think that the years of Bayern Munich or any Bundesliga team dominating the way we've seen it in the last 10 years have come to an end. Um, even if Bayern somehow win the title, um, this is the lowest point total a, a champion has uh, had since Louis van Gaal's uh, Bayern Munich side won it in 2011, right? Um, or sorry, 2010. So 13 years ago. and But this used to be the norm. Bundesliga titles were not decided with 80 points plus until that dominant period with Bayern Munich where they were twice won the travel, right? I think that was a phase where they really benefited from a golden generation of players where they had certain players fall into their laps, right? Which, you know, foreign observers often said they destroyed the league. Uh, I think it was just a very strong dominant run. And we've seen this happening in other leagues. Juventus and Serie A comes to mind, right? So I, I think we're kind of regressing back to the norm, to what the Bundesliga used to be. I think Bayern are probably still going to win the majority of titles, but we're not going to have the 80-plus title win, winners anymore. You see it with like throughout the board, like goal scoring in terms of like Serge Gnabry, for example, could still win the Torjäger Kanonen, right? With what, 16, 17 goals? That used to be kind of the norm in the 90s and early 2000s. And I think we're kind of regressing back to that. I think there's there's an end of a golden era, which doesn't for Bayern still means lots of titles. So I wouldn't worry too much about about it if I was a Bayern fan. But I think we might have this every year now again, which of course we would appreciate because you know it makes it a trickier to cover the league, but more fun. So you know this is maybe my final take for this show, Stefan, that this might be the new normal. Long may it continue. Long may it continue. Absolutely. All right, guys, that's it. Match day 33 recap. We have one more week plus relegation playoffs and the German Cup. Um, this is going to go down to the wire. It's going to be fascinating, exciting. We're going nowhere. We're going to keep you covered throughout. Check out the Substack match day threads. They're a ton of fun. You can get involved if you're anywhere in the world and you just want to have a great Bundesliga community you get engaged with check it out um it is a ton of fun um we had over 400 messages in the thread this match day and i think it's still going so yeah it's it's a ton of fun um as always this show is brought to you by bet online can't forget the sponsors and stefan will be back later this week with our usual set of shows until next time auf wiedersehen Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones 
who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.